Hello and welcome to Season 4. It's a podcast that seeks to encourage and inspire you on your journey. Okay, this is it. Um, Brace yourself because we are about to have a conversation with Brian McLaren. And for all of you who know who he is, you're probably rubbing your hands with excitement and joy. And for some of you, you'd be going, I'm not sure what it's all about. The, The thing that's absolutely fascinating about this conversation is that there is so much that we all have in common with the things that he is talking about than the things that we don't have in common. And this conversation is a delight. It is joyous. It is practical. It gives us a clear idea of what is true north. None of this like, I'm not sure which way to go and so and so forth. It's like, oh no, it's that way. And that's how we go about it. Irrespective of the worlds that we live in and the backgrounds that we've got, it gives us a clear idea. And genuinely, be encouraged, be blessed by this. We are seasoned for a purpose. And so look, let's go straight into this conversation and go from there. Well, it is um, with great delight and um, quite a bit of a surprise, I'll be honest with you, um, listeners. Um, We have a special guest with us today, and it is with uh, an author, uh, an activist, someone who in the English language would be Marmite. And some people would absolutely and utterly love him. And there are others that would think that he is the worst thing since, well, whatever. And um, I've always found this fascinating. And it is with Brian McLaren. Hello, how are you? I I have never been compared to Marmite before, but I get it. It makes sense. Yeah. I, I, and the only reason I say that, I remember very vividly, I was walking in Kingswood with um, some friends in where I live in Kent. And my friend, uh, Matthew King, who's uh, this professor in music, said, I was, he said to me, hey, Matt, you've got to read this book by Brian McLaren. I was like, no idea who he is. And he went on to then tell me these bits of pieces. And I was at the time, I was an elder in a brethren church. Yes, that's and, my background too, so I know that well. Yeah, and he said, let me go. And I was like, all right, okay, let's go do this. And it, it was literally like, um, my, uh, it was a DNA change. It was a genuine DNA change. And I passed it to my father and I passed it to a whole bunch of friends. And it, and, and it's, it is a bit like one of those, hey, have you read the book? Do you know about such and such? Mm-hmm. And anyway... What on earth led you to this? Because uh, I know we'll, we'll talk about what you're up to at the moment. But I, for, for me, what was that moment when you went to that door and went to the cupboard door and say, well, what's inside that cupboard? You know, uh, it's funny. I, I feel like my whole life, it's becoming clearer to me now as I get older and look back. You know, this issue of religious identity has been so important. Yeah. Um, growing up in a brethren family, it was a big deal who you were and what yeah. you believed and what part you were, especially because, you know, in our little group, we kind of thought we were barely sure that anybody else was a Christian um, because they were so far inferior to us and how closely they followed the Bible. Yeah. And, um, and so you just felt different. So religious identity was not something to be taken for granted, like, of course I'm a Christian, isn't everybody. It was, you know, a a very particular uh, and in some ways contested thing. But but the other two things that really very early on problematized my relationship to my Christian faith. First, I was super interested in science. I was one of those kids who loved to read every book in the library about rocks and minerals and stars and oceans and weather and dinosaurs and reptiles and birds. And I just, I loved it all. I still do. It's a huge uh, passion of mine. Yeah. And, and when I felt that my religious community, oh, I was told very clearly that we could not believe in evolution. We yeah. had to believe the earth was 6,000 years old, roughly. 
all that sort of thing. I just thought, gosh, I guess when I, when I'm 18, I'll have to move on to something else you know, when I'm on my own. <laughs> um, and then yeah. uh, another uh, dimension of this was I, I'm, you know, I live in the U S I, I, and our family moved from New York state to Maryland. And mm. when we moved to Maryland, the church we went to was a segregated church in the early 1960s. If okay. a black person came to our church, some very nice met white men in yeah. suits and ties would very politely give them the address of a black assembly was there. Oh my it. goodness. Um, and, and this was just uh, accepted. And I heard sermons about that. It was a sin for people of different races to, um, to marry. And, uh, what? so this, and, 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 uh, this was, you know, common in the 1950s and early 1960s and before in, in the United States. And, and, um, and I, and my parents did not agree with that. And they yeah. actually broke the rules on, on that. And, <laughs> but I just remember thinking, well, I, I like my parents, but gosh, that's pretty backwards, you know? So at any rate, <laughs> you know, that sort of tension has been with me from, from my childhood. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But there must've been a moment when you just thought, no, this doesn't compute. Because I remember when mine, where I come from a house church background, Yes. And uh, so we were evangelical. We would, you know, conservative with a small C. We would be charismatic, etc. And then I, when I left university, came back home as part of a African Pentecostal church when it was a very different flavor and a beautiful, exciting expression yes. of Christianity. And then moving from that to this brethren church, so you can just get, you know, you can get a a, a glimpse of a strange pilgrimage there um and when we started talking about the language of being spirit-led it was like talking dutch to some people yes. and yes. and so then when i then started reading stuff that you had been uh, uh, writing and then your other contemporaries you know like the richard roars and the rob belt and other like there was this collective voice of saying that the current status quo it don't work yeah. And people were really, really threatened by that. Yes, yes, yes. How, how have you navigated that? Because, I, well, you've, written, you've just got a book at the moment, which I think is fascinating. Um, a friend of mine, he, uh, he and I were talking about post-pandemic, and we think that, uh, and we're talking about the fact that we're in a third reformation where we are actually looking at the structure of the church, and there's a lot of things to talk about, you know, uh, reaching to the lost and, and doing things differently. And we both came to a point where we said, we don't want to reach new ones. We probably just want to reconnect with those who are done with the church. Yeah. 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 Tell us a story about yeah. your two books that you've got going about faith, about, you know, faith after a doubt and, and yes. do I stay a Christian? Where did, where did that come from? Well, as I say, I mean, part of this issue of conflicted religious identity is, uh, you know, part of part of my life story. And look, wherever mm. people end up on an issue, mm. like, for example, the inclusion of LGBTQ people, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, the the only people that don't feel this conflict are people who don't have any friends who are not exactly like them. So in other words, mm. you could be in in a congregation or uh, where you're fully accepting of lgbtq people yeah. as equals without any stigma but you yeah. have relatives and friends who aren't and so you feel this tension right yeah um or vice versa so uh i think more and more people feel this tension but what i think has been what i've been observing and and i know a little bit about the statistics that back it up yeah. is that large numbers of people are just saying I'm done. I'm as, mm. as you say, are saying I'm done. The number of clergy I know that have not only left ministry, but have left any kind of Christian association yeah. uh, tells me something is going on. Um, uh, and, and you mentioned the pandemic. I think one thing that happened in the pandemic is a lot of people who were looking for an excuse to stop showing up, you know, got it for, for a year. Yeah. And, and, and what happened during the pandemic of watching large numbers of churches show absolute disdain for science and 
carelessness toward the health and well-being of their neighbors. <laughs> it, it just added to their reasons to say, why would I ever want to go back to that? So I just think something is going on. It's been going on for a long time. It, it's it's accelerated where I am in the US. In some ways, in the UK, you've been watching this for you know for uh, well over a hundred years, and um, and so yeah, this I I just think we are at an inflection point. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, I think the, I mean, in the UK we have. So I work with, uh, you know, you, you probably won't. There's a, I work for a charity and we help churches set up uh, social action programs. So yes. you like food banks or, or um, yes. there's a thing called street pastors. So it's helping people, you know, doing stuff in the evenings uh, around the night economy, etc. And and one of the things that we talk about is. Um, it's essentially helping churches to function in a way where it both has a bigger impact and it's a sustainability component. Yeah. And and these are such important things. I think, yes. th- but this language of do I stay a Christian when the structure is so difficult? How do you navigate? What do you say to people like that? Just give me because, yeah. um, the, the, you know, the devotion we that that I, I wrote, you know, during the pandemic. So you know, reread it now. <laughs> Uh, and it took us about some people have a relationship that's either transactional or it's relational. And obviously yeah. we, 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 we lead towards relational. And talk to me about what is it, well, particularly for you post-pandemic in reflection of everything that's happened. And now that we're, you know, for, I know that it's, you're in a different phase over there in the US. How do you start to communicate to people that you can still be a follower or still have a faith in Christ, but not be part of a tribe of a conventional way. Yeah. Yeah. All of this is, is in play and, and it's mm. turbocharged here on my side of the Atlantic because of politics. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and it is turbocharged by politics in many other places as well. And frankly, this is not all that new. Mm. This, this is a longstanding reality. Um, I, so, you know, when I wrote this book, do I stay Christian Mm. in some ways, your question explains why I set it up the way I did. I I wrote the book in three parts. So do I stay Christian? Part one is called no. And I tried to, and I wrote 10 chapters on 10 good reasons not to stay Christian, 10 reasons that I could imagine not staying Christian for 10 reasons that friends of mine have talked to me about 10 reasons that uh, I think uh, that are significant and no Christian can offer an easy answer to say, that's not important. You should stay. Um, And, uh, and I, I, and, and one of the reasons I, I wanted to do that first, because I think anybody who's been around religious people would suspect if somebody writes a book called, do I stay Christian? What it really means is, why you should stay Christian and you'll go to hell if you don't or something, you know, (laughs) like there's this open-minded when, when it really just is a trick for a sales pitch. And I didn't want to, I don't believe in that. I didn't want to do that. Um, And I think many people are leaving Christian faith for very good reasons. Yeah. And, and that in a certain sense, everyone who leaves rather than telling them they should stay, I want to tell my fellow Christians we had better get our act together and stop uh, perpetuating these things that are driving people away from faith because they have good reasons to leave. Um, uh, But then part two of the book is yes. And basically I'm saying, is there a way to say, yes, I'm going to stay Christian with my eyes wide open to the first 10 chapters. And, and one of the reasons I wanted to write the book this way. And I, um, Matthew, I, I feel it breaks my heart to have to say this, but I wrote a lot about Christian history in the first 10 chapters and about horrible, horrible, horrible things that have been done in the name of Jesus Christ and yeah. the gospel and the Bible yeah. and God. I am worried. I'm, I'm sincerely worried that the worst things that the Christian religion has ever done will be done in the next 10 years, the next 20 years. Um, and, okay. uh, and for that reason, I want Christians who are going to stay Christian to be aware of that danger and mm-hmm. to hold their faith with the awareness of how their faith could become a weapon that harms many other people. 
Um, can I give you an example from an experience yeah. in, in the UK, actually? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, some years ago, I, I was asked to speak at a seminary in, in London. Oh, yeah. And um, in, and I had to take a, a, a train to get there. And, when, and then I had maybe a five or seven block walk from the train to the seminary. Yeah. And when I walked through that neighborhood, every, virtually every person I saw was East Indian. And so many of them were mm -hmm. Hindu and probably the majority were Muslim. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I could tell by their dress and so on. Yeah. And so I, I come to the seminary that night and I have this jarring experience of seeing the entire neighborhood be Muslim and Hindu, and then coming into a seminary of white, uh, almost exclusively white Christians. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. I just made a comment in passing that night. I said, if I lived in the neighborhood of your seminary, I would have this question in mind. Are the people in this seminary learning a theology that may someday justify them wanting to kill me and my children? Um, and, and the way I said it is, are the people in the seminary learning, are they being given a genocide card that will give them theological justification to kill me and my children someday if, if the circumstances go yeah, in yeah. that direction? Yeah. And I was making this comment because I sincerely felt it. I, I could not have set it up any better. A fellow mm. raised his hand and said, if the word of God says that you should, that there are times to kill people in the name of God, then I will keep the genocide card in my pocket. If the word of God tells me I must. And it was this moment, you know, I didn't plan for it to be that dramatic, but people could feel this guy was standing up in front of his fellow students and professors and saying, I may someday go kill Muslims and Hindus in the name of Jesus. Mm. And this was not in the backwoods of the United States. This was in London a couple of years ago or several years ago. And so it's just this realization yeah. that if people are going to stay Christian, they'd better be aware that we have work to do in speaking to our fellow Christians about the harm that they may feel they're required to do based on what their preachers are telling them the Bible says, or that the Holy Spirit told them. I mean, what you are talking about for me is, is a, an, a perfect example of reading scripture badly. Yes, 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 yes. And, and I, you know, obviously you introduced uh, to the masses um, the, the, in the Greco Roman in out theology, which, yes. which has been around and that sort of thing. But I think yes. the way that you articulated it was just so accessible, you know, and, and that was credit to you, mate. That was proper smart. Because <laughs> you know, um, the, the, the problem with a lot of theology is that it can be so esoteric and so yeah. unaccessible. And I think that's why, like, the likes of yourself and Rob have been just been like, and, you know, and Pete, Pete Ems as well, just like saying, let's talk about this in a normal way yes um so so how do you then uh so you've so what so so what you've just basically said is there are some very good legitimate reasons to basically say no you're done you, you, you suck uh church you, all right <laughs> and then you come along and say but well, hold on i want to now introduce you to the world the word grace grace over the, the things that suck actually and 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 start so so where does that lead because you said you had three parts in that book what does that yeah. lead towards yeah well and actually matt what i should say is i i don't in part two of the book i don't use the word grace that's clever uh, to Good. Say that uh, because what i say in part two is uh, i'm basically saying if you're outraged about the things we talked about in part one i want you to stay outraged good in other words and and i want you to stay uh, and, and in fact, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, then yeah. take up the moral responsibility for us to clean up our religion. Here's the way I said it in one of the chapters in the book, in, in part two of the book, is I said, each of us receive an inherited form of the faith, yeah. and we will either pass it on to the next generation exactly as we received it, in a worse form than we received it, or in a better form than we received it. Yeah. And I think it is our moral responsibility to, to understand that, you know, mm -hmm. and I think we have a, because the faith that is currently being practiced is not ideal. <laughs> I think we have a moral responsibility to improve what we received and pass on a better version of it 
yeah. up to future generations. So, so what is, that's what, what is I that? do in part two. So what is an improved way of doing it then? Because, because I, I mean, I sent these questions over to you, which, uh, you know, basically what ensnares us, clearly it's faulty thinking, clearly it's faulty reading, et cetera. So, so what helps? Yeah. Well, I, I, I suppose part of the message that I'm trying to get across in this book is that for starters, we better face our failures. Uh, we hmm. better take them really, really seriously. That's good. Um, we, we better look at like those bad readings and faulty readings. We had better really interrogate them and we'd better build in uh, guardrails to make sure we never, ever, ever interpret the Bible again that way. Yeah. If we don't do that, we are, uh, we're, you know, we're perpetuate, we're, we're keeping our neighbors in danger. And, and can I say mm. on top of our neighbors, we mm. also have the earth and yeah, here, yeah. It, it, it's not our choice, but we happen to be born at a time when we figured out that our current way of building a civilization is, is unsustainable in relation to the planet. Mm. And so we our ancestors had a theology where they never thought twice about how they were treating the planet. Mm. We have to have a theology that starts at that point. So all of these things mean, mean that if we're going to stay Christian, we're going to have to, to, to do it in a new way. And we're going to have to wake up to the current reality and use every means of our dis at our disposal to help us move in the direction we need to move. And here's the interesting thing. And this is something I, I hope I can I communicate effectively in the book. Mm -hmm. If you decide not to stay a Christian, you still wake up in a world of ecological uh, devastation and in a world of racial fear and hatred and a world of gross economic injustice. Absolutely. And you're going to have to figure that out as well. Yeah. And so to me, the third part of the book, uh, part one is no, part two is yes, part three is how. And the how is how are we going to live? How are we going to how are we going to live in, in the world that we live in knowing what we know? Yeah. And, uh, and that, and the interesting thing is I have a feeling that's the question Jesus would care about the most. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, not what label do you have, but how are you going to live? And that question, and, uh, and I think, uh, that that question takes us in the direction, uh, we need to go. Yeah. Yeah. So, so give me a couple of examples of how, just because I, uh, yeah, know, there's, there's a whole heap of things that I could say, but but yeah, give me some thoughts yeah. on that. Well, the, the first chapter in that how section is I just say, look, we have to learn to pay attention to our development as human beings, as individuals, as societies, as civilizations. We have to pay attention to our development. Mm. Um, and there, we have a lot of research, really good research now on on stages of human development. Mm. And we we could understand how development I don't mean development like economic development. I mean, human development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how Spiral dynamics, behavior change and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, all those sort of things. And and we even see it in the Bible. You know, when you think yeah. about the Bible begins with patriarchs. These are authoritarian systems that are way better than the chaos that existed maybe before them. And mm. then we move to a period of law where, where written down codes of law become really, really essential. And mm. then we have the period of the prophets who say, you know what, you can, you can specialize in law and still not show compassion to the widows and the, and the, and the orphans. And, and so law isn't enough. You need something beyond law. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, yeah, you know what you need? You need love. And love is really the guide is the North star that guides us. And so we even see that sort of developmental framework. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians, the way we use the Bible is we take patriarch, law, prophet, Jesus, and we put them all at the same level. And in that way, we don't allow them to be a maturing process. We yeah. keep them all equal. And so I think that's a process that's going on in the Christian faith right now. And mm -hmm. I would hope that people would inhabit uh, that, that process intelligently. Another chapter, one of my favorite chapters to write is called Rewild. And if, uh, if, the fact that religion, and here I am writing a book and talking about religion in words, so much of religion is language. Um, and if our language itself becomes this little echo chamber, and it, the language can become more real than reality. Uh -huh. And so 
one of the things I think we especially need at this time is to reconnect with the natural world. We've, we've, we've got to rewild ourselves. We've got to reconnect with the natural world. And, and of course, theologically, we have every reason to do this because we believe God is the creator and that creation itself expresses the nature of God and, and expresses the wisdom of God. And, and, and we need to get that wisdom that in some ways is bigger than words so that we can recalibrate our words in that, in, in, in that, uh, in that, deeper and and beyond words uh, message. So, um, uh, I mean, those would be a, a, a couple of the things I talk about in, in that house section. Another section is uh, another chapter. I talk about our need to announce and renounce. Okay, so if we, know, if we know that there is deep white supremacy in many sectors of Christianity, um, you know, and and you, I'm. I can only imagine what it looks like from your side of the pond to look over and see another mass killing. Oh, it's uh, heartbreaking. By a guy, by the way, who is a part of white Christian nationalism and who feels he's doing God's will, or many of these people feel it's they're doing God's will. Then you you realize the need for more and more of us uh, in my country and in other countries. There are different ways this works, but to renounce the forms of Christianity that are that are. Uh, that are being that are energizing this kind of thought mm. um, where we in a sense have to take sides. We don't have to do it hatefully. We have to do it with love, but there, there is a renouncing and then announcing here's what we actually believe in. And here's what we're actually for. And here's what we're actually committing ourselves to. Um, and I think that that kind of uh, renouncing and announcing is, is, is really important. Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, we, we firmly believe, I say to a lot of churches, um, don't do any social action unless you've got pastoral care. Uh, and that really is it's in relationship. It's in home groups. Yeah. Um, we, we have a thing at the moment which we're, we're, we're working around, which is called Table, um, which um, uh, was introduced to me by a chap called Chris Mitten, where essentially they, they, they meet around the table, they eat, uh, and then they 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 share each other's lives. They, how are you doing? Yes. What's giving you What's giving you rest? What's giving you stress? How can we love and serve one another? Yeah. Uh, how how uh, the thing that I find fascinating in the U.S. is that it's such a massive massive country, you know, three hundred and sixty million or so, and then here in in Europe, we are a sum of countries. Whereas the U.S. is actually a sum of states, and then uh, that sort of stuff. And yet, for some reason, us over here look look over there and say, "Well, you're all the same." You're not, though. In the same, in in the sense, when you look upon us, you you think, "Well, all the Europeans like that." We're we're clearly not. I mean, you you just have to go to Eastern Europe. You've got different types of Christianity, etc. When you start talking about community, how what's what does your community look like? Because you know the thing that I find fascinating when when I speak to different people who are like bishops or uh, who are authors and writers and that sort of stuff, and they are involved in different things, and some of them are somewhat almost two degrees not involved. We use a language of with. What does with not two not four but with? What does with look like for you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, from Monday to Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Well, as as you know, uh, Matthew, I was a pastor for twenty four years, and mm-hmm. for the last sixteen years, is it sixteen? Yeah, uh, something like that. I have been. Uh, I've I've not been a pastor, and so I moved yeah. to a different state, and I attend a little Episcopal church uh, on a little island where I live, and um, but I travel a lot, um, so. Mm. I'm not. I'm not an ideal church member. I'm probably at my church less than half of the Sundays of a year, just because I'm traveling a lot. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, but my little church is a interesting example of this, because we, this congregation, when I arrived, um, uh, it, it was a congregation. A lot of congregations in the U.S. They survive our political division by trying to be vague, to not take a stand about anything. Yeah. And um, because they're afraid if they take a stand, they will offend somebody. Yeah. Um, and 
but what this congregation did very well is they they practiced commitment to people in need. And so mm. um, one of the things our little congregation did is they had a summer camp for kids with disabilities and they mm. would recruit people all over our little town, which is an island um, in the Gulf of Mexico. They would recruit people. And, and so we might have 75 uh, kids with disabilities, and then that would require 125 or 150 counselors because sometimes you need two counselors per uh, per camper. Absolutely. And and for that week, we would just give them the best time they've ever had. We'd get the jet ski company to take all the kids out on jet skis. We'd get the scuba diving company to go in a swimming pool and let a kid who's never done this put a mask on and a snorkel or maybe even uh, you know scuba and breathe underwater. Or, yeah. or uh, we would get a, a very fancy restaurant to shut down the restaurant for a night. And mm. that night, all these kids would eat at a, a table with white tablecloth and all the fancy silverware and all of the servers would serve them like they were a king or queen. And, and, and it didn't matter if they spilled things and it didn't matter. Absolutely. Everybody was okay with it. And, and mm -hmm. it would just be this week where these kids got to be treated with extraordinary kindness and dignity and fun. And, um, and so it was a way for the, our congregation to be, you know, brought together, in, in caring for people um, who are in need. But what's happened in the last few years is really interesting because um, uh, what the, the congregation is, a number of people in the congregation are saying, you know what, this issue of plant, of, of the, the plight that our planet is in, we're an island. If, huh. if the sea level, uh, the sea level rises an eighth of an inch every year where I live. Yeah. So I've lived in the years I've lived here, it's risen, uh, we're going on two inches. And, and, and an eighth of an inch doesn't sound like much, but you That's keep a lot. adding decades. It's a lot. Yeah. And so the, our congregation has a group of people now who are starting to say, what are we going to do about the environment? And mm. because of the political divisions in our country, they're going to have to start speaking up and saying some things that are going to challenge people. And we're going to have to move beyond sort of a happy ambiguity and vagueness. And so yeah, it's interesting watching our little community try to grow in these areas now. It's it's and and I'm I'm proud of I'm proud of our congregation, but I also know it's not easy. Yeah. You um you I don't know if you've ever been called this, but I can clearly see that within the the fivefold ministry and obviously that they are there to equip the saints for acts of service. Um you you, you it's not it's not possible. It's, and, you know, you could say it's a teacher, but actually I would probably say more importantly, it's more prophetic. It's more prophetic. I, I don't know if you recognize that when anyone said that to you, but for me, the fact that you, and the prophetic is very much looking back, looking to where we are now and looking to where we're yeah. going. That is, okay, it, it, this, is a, this is an interesting thought because I, you know, you, you you know having a prophetic gifting I, I you know you see it in others very quickly what's god whispering to you now having written this book you know i i, I spoke to some friends about they they do stuff around red letter christians and i say well, well okay great so what but what do we do to create that movement or transformation yeah this is such an important book that you've written and the other one about doubt and oh my goodness i can i've, I've seen that in so many spaces what what do you think god is whispering to you and, and your and and your other kin about where yeah. he's leading us. Well, I, I I think one thing I would say uh, is I a question people often ask me is what gives me hope, and I tell them what gives me hope is changing the way I think about hope, because I used to think that hope meant focusing on the trend lines that are going in a positive direction. Yeah. Um, and, and I've come to think that that's not a good way for me at this time to think about hope, because first of all, um, there can be minuscule trend lines going in a positive direction and, you know, uh, just absolutely huge trend lines going in negative directions. And to just keep focusing on the positive becomes a way of living in denial about the negative. Yeah. And so what I feel being whispered to me is this, that I should expect 
forms of Christianity that are doing ugly and harmful things to get much uglier and do even more harmful things. I should not expect them to get better. They are not getting better. They're getting worse. The, the, the fusion of forms of Christianity with fascist, racist, anti-environment leaders who don't care about the truth and who only care about power for their in-group, it, that's growing and there's no sign of it letting up. Um, and enough people have lost their conscience and lost their courage. They're just going along with it at this point. But see, that would lead me to despair. But then I realize at the same moment, there are, as those things get worse, other people are saying, I want no part of that. I want to do something beautiful and constructive and kind and healing and restorative. And those people are getting on with that work too. And so what mm. it's, I, I suppose what I feel being whispered deep in, inside of me is to not expect everything to get better or worse, but to expect some things to get worse while other things get better. And yeah. then to understand it's my job to throw everything I can into the places that are working to make things better. And um, yeah, so that, that's, that's the, that might be one of those whisperings. I love that. I love that. Uh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, I love summarizing, just understanding, processing. For me, what you're saying is about responsibility rather than being just a passenger. Yes, that's right. Exactly right. And, you know, something I did in this book is probably in two different places in the book, I do these big overviews of church history. Mm. And, um, and one of the things I try to do is talk about how many of the most beautiful things we look at were happening as the very worst things were happening. You know, yeah. a, a St. John of the Cross comes along. Yes. A, a Teresa of Avila comes along. Yes. While the church is doing the Inquisition and while the church is carrying on crusades, some of the most absolutely blasphemous things are being done by the church in the name of Jesus. Uh, at the same time as some of these beautiful flowerings are happening. And so as I did that, I had to do a kind of historical overview. Something like that is easy to write and it's easy to be wrong. So I really wanted to go back and I, <laughs> I did a good bit of research for a few paragraphs that were, you know, that people will read it and pass by quickly. But as I did it, I, it forced me to imagine while the witch burnings were going on across Europe, which, yeah. you know, are way worse than most people know. Um, while they were going on, let's say that I had the courage to say that I knew it was wrong. Um, would I have had that courage knowing that if I stand up and speak in 1630, that it's not going to end for, you know, another 150 years, would I have the courage to stand up? Am I demanding quick trend lines to turn or am I willing to be part of witnesses that may in my entire lifetime be discredited. And just reviewing that history gave me a deeper sense. This is where I feel like hope is being redefined for me. I don't mm. think hope is saying, I think things are going to turn around tomorrow. <laughs> I yeah. think hope is saying, I'm going to do the right thing, whatever the trend lines. <laughs> and and that, that to me is a new understanding of hope. Yeah, I love that. For me, it, it's 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 a it, translating that is a, it's a it's a form of saying I care, and it's yes. my care. Yes, it's my yes. care, and I care. Yes, and, and care looks like kindness. Yes, uh, you know, I'm, as a as someone who is a fantastic amateur at observing society. I find it fascinating that with the Black Lives Matter movement that happened as a consequence of that horrific killing, but the issue of racism has been around for centuries. Yes, and uh, you know, and even when Martin Luther King was 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 hideously murdered, and then so many things that had happened, but there was almost like this renewing moment. Black Lives Matter had just said, you know, when that murder happened. And then the society said, hold on, that's enough. And fascinatingly, yes. we've got this thing with the Me Too movement. We've got the Occupy movements. There's these moments where people are saying, yes. Yes. enough is enough. Yes, yes, yes. yes. The, 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 
And I think it's really interesting that you mentioned the two inches of water. I'm wondering if there is a moment, a tipping point within the ecosystem yeah. that just says enough, enough of how yes. we treat the LGBT community, enough how we treat yes. people of, of less money or with more money or from a different yes. you know, nationality or they don't speak yes. with the right accent, <laughs> in the wrong postcode or whatever it is. How, how do you, because I'm a great believer in cultivating kindness, but I yes. also believe that small, th you know, that, that transformation starts with small things. Don't despise the small things because they, they become yes. like a mustard seed. How do you yes. encourage people who are just so they're aching? They're yes. aching. How do you, how yes. do you encourage people with that? Yes. Yes. Um, so Matt, it's, it's interesting. Just two days ago, um, my, my publisher said, what is your next book? What, what would you like to write about next? And we reached mm -hmm. an agreement. My next book is going to be called life after doom. <laughs> and it really is grappling <laughs> with that sense that we, we wake up. Many of us wake up with just the sense that so much is wrong and that the changes we need that governments are failing us and religions are, seem to be caving in left and right. And, and and how do we how do we wake up with that ache and and keep living and um one of the things i think that really i i gain from the bible is a is the long view you know in the bible there are difficult times that last for centuries and people are born and live and die in those times and we don't get a chance of what kind of time that we're born in. And yeah. so what, what happens is, I, I think one of the things we see in scripture is that people have to figure out how to live and thrive and experience, experience the depth of life in whatever times they have to be born. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and I, and, and so much of the Bible is about the end of eras, you know, um, the, the, the children of Israel leave Egypt and it's mm. the end of an era and they go through a whole generation of in between of liminality before they enter a new era. But guess what? They come to the promised land and it's not so great and it doesn't last forever. And then comes the exile. And, and so the sense that of course, this is how life is there. Things don't get fixed. The solution to yesterday's problems eventually will create tomorrow's problems and we'll have to have a whole new set of, solutions and and so living with that sense i think uh helps me to to realize yeah we're on a pilgrimage we're in a journey and we don't require ideal circumstances to live with fullness and joy yeah i love that i love that yeah. my wife is um a constant inspiration and, and no doubt your loved ones and friends are inspiration she she introduced me to a thing called the change triangle, which essentially it's either avoidance or ignoring, or you ground yourself in, in, in yeah. who you are and your relationship with God. And basically it is essentially letting go of all of those things that bug us, that we think it is our responsibility to, to actually deal with it, but actually, and, and causing the stress and the stressors, but actually saying, uh, acknowledging my role as first and foremost, I am loved and he loves me, irrespective yes. of my past, present and future. Yes. And so in, in, in possessing and, and embodying that love, it yes. actually changes my relationship with those things that are stressful. Yes. Which, which for me is, I tell you what, Brian, it, it, it was, it was like a, Oh, what would it be like? You know, when you've had a really hard day, we've all had hard days and you go to, and you think, you know, I just need a good hot bath with Epsom salts. <laughs> <laughs> and you get out of there and your body's like, yes, the world hasn't changed, but I am better and yes. I can approach it in a different way, not in a place of can'ts, but cans, but I'm actually yes. empowered yes. with rather than my own power. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love that. Um, so, uh, in fact, I, I can't remember who said this, but, uh, but I heard it from an African-American woman mm -hmm. who, who said, 
self-care is not, for me, self-care is not self-indulgence, it's self-preservation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so that's, I think, a big part of it. But, uh, and, I, and I also think, as you say, I, I think this is part of what the spiritual life is supposed to do as we deepen our roots into, into God and into yeah. God's love. And as we, in a sense, open ourselves to the fullness of the spirit, not just in those sort of old senses of, oh, I speak in tongues, so I'm filled with the yeah, spirit yeah, now, yeah, yeah. but the actual, the actual sense of, oh, I, I'm facing my weaknesses. Oh, I'm, I'm facing yeah. my neuroses. And I'm, and as you say, and instead of having to fix them, which only adds to my neurosis to say, you know what, God loves me and I'm going to have to face this and live with it. And this is reality. And just, there's this weird, hard to explain transformation that comes when, when, when that love pervades, you know? Yeah. And, and it's not complacency. It's no. but it's also not, it's not desperate, desperate panic. And, yeah. and, um, and then when I get involved in my work, my work, I do it differently. Just as you say, I experienced yeah. this just a couple of weeks ago. Huh. I, I was, I was invited to a, a very formal dinner. It was yeah. not a religious gathering, but it was a, a political event. Okay. And I was okay. invited to this very formal dinner and um, I'm sitting at the, I arrived late and I ended up being seated at a table with nobody I know. Okay. Okay. And, I'm sitting next to this lady and we start talking. She asked me what I do for a living. And when she found out I was a writer, what are you write about? Well, I used to be a pastor. I write about spirituality. To, yeah. So now she is a religious person yeah. and she wants to bond with me. Uh oh. And so she starts talking about religious things. Uh -oh. Every single thing she said made the hair on my, I don't have any hair on my head. No, you don't just you know. like me. <laughs> um, but it, it, I realized she was trying to bond with me and, literally she's saying things that i think are bigoted and harmful because oh she expects goodness. that's what i think too right 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 and i remember and i just felt like do i am i gonna have to get into this with her and so but i had this wonderful freedom that just sort of came over me and i said to her i know you're trying to uh find common ground with me i know and i really really appreciate that i really do i yeah. said i just need you to know that's not how i see it <laughs> <laughs> and she looks a little shocked and yeah. we ended up having a delightful conversation. And when, when I left, I was, uh, I, you know, the, the crowd dispersed and she comes running across the crowd when she sees me leaving and she pulls me aside and she just said, thank you so much for disagreeing with me. Goodness she me. said, we need to have conversations where we figure out how to disagree with each other and to do it, you know, kindly it was just this moment i i felt yeah i i could have gotten in a fight with her or i could yeah. have been quiet and i would have left felt terribly either way but we found a way to be different and i think it had to do with me not acting out of any need to change her or whatever it just yeah, yeah it came out of a different place yeah so i mean this is this is really interesting because uh you know i'm I chatting with verity and we were talking about someone who does leadership and and we were thinking oh really that's a bit that's that's interesting and i just said to her they come from a good place yeah. just the way that they express it the language that they use we should perhaps oversee that and look at their heart and understand where they're coming from that's not in and out but actually their destination i, I think language is fascinating i was, I was with an, another friend of ours um and she mentioned oh, I, I wish people would you know believe more in god and I just said, you know, I think they probably do. They just don't call it God. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You That's know. great. And, and I, I love the fact that God, you know, he is, he's an incredibly, well, he's bigger, isn't he? He's just big. Yes. And, and, yes. and the thing that I find interesting is that I think because of the way the church is very much like we are the answer to the question and it's in and out, in and out theology is that they get threatened when when language like yes. says actually God speaks a different language yes yes you yes know. yes so well said and can I just say and this is why you know when I think about you and the network that you're involved with helping churches to just get out there and 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 show that the nature of God as 
generosity and kindness and yeah. and uh, uh, and to bring uh, an unconditionally loving presence yeah uh, into people's lives oh my gosh so it's just it's what we need uh, it's yeah. what the world needs in so many different ways oh yeah absolutely well look brian um it's been a privilege it's been a pleasure it, you know I, i'll be honest with you it was, I, I sent you an email just thought ah he won't answer and he came back and was like no way <laughs> <laughs> um you are coming to the uk you said to me oh, look, i'm going to be at yeah. green belt are you just there for Greenbelt or are you there for other bits and pieces? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm just uh, this year, I'm just there for Greenbelt. And then I'm going to participate in a, a retreat in Northern Ireland uh -huh. uh, with um, folks who are interested in the history of the peacemaking process there and, and in Ooh. the ongoing peacemaking work, which uh, I, I just about everywhere we live, that peacemaking work is important. So yeah, I'll just be at Greenbelt for a couple of days, but so glad I can be back. It's been, a, I guess, with COVID, all of us have felt it's been a long time. So it really has been. It really has been. So if people want to, um, obviously, it's Brian McLaren um, dot net yes. um, is your website where you're you're smiling there. You are smiling in a very lovely picture with um, a couple of books of faith after doubt and and do I stay a Christian? Well, I'll be honest with you, your other books are pretty good. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I mean, the one that 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 obviously was, you know, the story we find ourselves in, and yeah. our new kind of Christian. They were, they were very important books. Well, I'm, I, it's encouraging to hear. Yeah, thanks for the good work you're doing. Um, and and I'm so glad. You know, we need more and more congregations that are just living it out and finding ways to live it. Yeah. And so, thank you for the good work you're doing, and for a podcast like this of, of just, you know, helping people be uh participants in these needed conversations it's it's so important so thank you for what you do and thank you for letting me be part of it today no it's a real pleasure thank you so much bless you bye-bye well i just want to say thank you for joining us on today's episode and a few things uh if you want to follow us on twitter we are uh, have this handle or profile name of seasoned for life and uh, all latest news about the podcasts and guests uh, are on there. And spread the news, tell people about this. Um, it do uh, put reviews um, through various different things. If you're listening to us through uh, um, Android or Spotify or on iTunes or whatever your place, do leave a review, do tell people about it. And um, well, do you know what? It is incredibly encouraging. So thanks again. God bless you and uh, we'll see you next time.